Would you take God's word and turn to Matthew chapter 6? We at GBC, for those that are visiting with us, have been engaged in a series that we often call Sermon on the Mount. And last week we looked at the topic of prayer. And in the midst of that prayer, Jesus does this caveat on forgiveness. And we're going to look at those two verses this morning. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. Now, I'm going to do something this morning that I haven't done since I've been here. In fact, I've never done it at all, ever in my life. Uh, So this is with some fear and trembling. I'm going to put my phone number on the screen. And because of the topic this morning, forgiveness... It's so easy to misunderstand because of your context and experience, things that I say. If you have a question, I'm going to ask you to text it to me. And at the end of the service, I'm going to choose two or maybe three questions and answer those, if there is any questions. I shouldn't say I've never done this. I guess we didn't have cell phones back in those days, but when I was church planning, we used to do a Q&A after I preached because the audience was mostly uh, people with unchurched backgrounds. And it was quite an interesting time, the questions they asked just for clarification. So you understand, this is for the sole purpose of asking a question about the message. Nothing else. (laughs) I won't answer those questions. So if you want clarity, write that down. If you have a question, feel free to text it. And if there's time at the end, I'll answer uh, several depending upon that time. Forgiveness. I think it's one of the critical needs of our day. When you realize that we live in a world of escalating narcissism, social unrest, violence, there is very little forgiveness displayed anywhere. It's why when stories like the shootings at the Amish schoolhouse looked at forgiveness, it captured literally the world's attention because it was so unusual and infrequent. I get it out there. But inside the church... We should lead with the hope of forgiveness, but we cannot lead with an empty soul. You know, the church is not led by majority rule, as some people think. All creation is led by the rule of God, amen? Amen. And this high calling we've been talking about, being salt and light, demands Christ-like forgiveness. But we're confused. See, today Christians are more concerned, and they think it's about being light, rather than being Christ. For Christians today, some are more concerned about being politically correct than they are biblically correct. And when you look at Christ, God in flesh, that's what Emmanuel means. He was the perfect example of what salt and light was. And we realize that his lifestyle caused him to be crucified. Now, before we take a comment like that and intentionally go out and make people angry for Jesus. Don't do that. (laughs) What it means is we have to figure out what it means to love our neighbors and our enemies, as we looked at previously. We have to realize, and in a community, study what it means to be Christ in our world, in a world that edits our comments, judges our intent, accuses our motivations. What does it mean to live kingdom of God values in a world and culture that's moving away from those values? What does it mean? Realizing we are the community of Christ, we're the church of Christ, and he talks about our unity being one of those primary witness tools 
John 17, when he prayed, he prayed that, Father, make them one as you and I are one. Why? That the world may believe that you sent me. In the midst of our diverse unity, what does that mean to be part of our strength? Now, in case you didn't know, uh, let me inform you that we live in a hypersensitive culture. By that I mean people are offended at everyone and everything. Doesn't matter. I read an article this past week about somebody who's offended about the color of milk. It's white. I'm like, okay, I've had it. What we forget, and one of the bait of Satan, is that we, we yield to the sin of offense. But being in Christ, we will offend people. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul writes these words. For the word of the cross is folly. That word folly means moron, absurd, ridiculous. So our message of the cross of Christ will be ridiculous to a group of people. To those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now we got to be careful that it's the message that offends and not the messenger. And Paul later on talks about the offense of the cross. And Peter and Paul talk about the rock of offense being Christ. But I believe that our confusion comes from being hyper-selfish. We look for what is, and if we can't find it, and even if it's not there, we still pretend that it is there. That's why Pharisees found not a Messiah in Christ, rather they found an imposter. Romans chapter 1, living. You've heard me talk about this before. Where people choose not to honor God and be thankful towards God. It says they become futile in their thinking. That means nonsensical. Their foolish hearts are darkened. It means their hearts are senseless. And it talks about God giving them over then. And letting them have what they wanted or what they think they wanted. But listen to the very closing remarks of Paul in this section. I think describes what we're experiencing today in our world. In Romans 1, verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to their based mind to do what they ought not to be done. And then it goes through this list. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. That seems odd there, doesn't it? And yet it's in this list of kinds of things that when we refuse to acknowledge God as God and give thanks, this is what happens to our minds and hearts. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. But listen to the last verse. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I've been watching in our culture, and I have never in my 39 years of ministry seen outward, right, abusive displays of people just bashing Christ. And God's word. And doing it in public forums like I really haven't seen in my 39 years. 
Now, I bring all this to our attention because this self-absorbed, arrogant culture of ours has a very hard time with one of our critical needs, and it's forgiveness. And forgiveness is something everybody needs, and I'm even going to say that everybody wants it. And what an incredible opportunity then for us as a church in this day to display the kind of hope that this forgiveness gives. It is for us who follow Christ a true display of what it means to be salt and light. This calling of forgiveness. Now, I realize it's a sensitive topic this morning and not seeking to minimize or reduce it to some emotional reactive moment. There is the depth of some people's wounds here this morning that go far beyond any human ability to forgive. And we're going to get into that in a moment. But I also realize there's the other side. There's also this inability to truly forgive our shallow offenses. And it speaks to the lack of depth in our own souls. Christ cannot fill with his word and his spirit what is already full of self. The line last week we looked at, Jesus said, pray this way, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then he does this caveat. But let me remind you that when we refuse to forgive, we dishonor his name, we dishonor his kingdom, we dishonor his will. We talked about that. But let's read these two verses. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. Hear the word of Christ. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. He's talking about sin. Now let's first talk about what this is not saying. He is not saying that his forgiveness does not depend on ours. He's not saying, listen, for you to get God's forgiveness, you have to forgive. It is not salvation by works, it's salvation by grace. An unforgiving heart, this is what he is saying, an unforgiving heart is too full of itself that it cannot accept the forgiveness of God. So the only thing keeping us from his forgiveness, and let's go back to what we talked about. He talked about anger. He talked about revenge, letting go of those kinds of things. But when we fill our hearts with those kinds of things, God's forgiveness cannot penetrate. Number two, forgiveness is not forgetting. We are emotional beings. We have wounds. We have hurts. Some are deeper than others. And it's critical here that we do not nurture the wound. But in forgiveness, our wounds, our wounds do not define us. His wounds do. I want to say that again, then read a verse. In forgiveness, our wounds do not define us. His wounds do. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Number three, forgiveness is not tolerance. Now let me define what I mean. We don't have to tolerate or we don't have to approve what people do. We do have to accept We do have to treat people as created in the image of God. We have to love all people, but we don't have to approve their behavior. And the confusion comes in when we desire to be liked more than desire to be like Christ. In our world especially, 
There are situations and circumstances where we will get called names and they'll accuse us of intent because of a certain position we stand for. Here's what this passage is saying. It's calling us to be salt and light. It's calling us to love our enemies. It's calling us to do good no matter who sees or doesn't see. Remember, that's a key theme down through this passage. We do it before God, an audience of one. We don't do it before other people to be seen by them. He's calling us to effective prayer. And so I want to make a positive statement about this and a negative statement. And hopefully this will bring some clarity. When your mind and heart are filled with an forgiving spirit, God's forgiveness in you is alive and well. That's way to state this in a positive way. When your mind and heart are filled with a forgiving spirit, God's forgiveness is in you is alive and well. Now, to reverse that, look the other side of the coin. When your mind and heart are filled with unforgiveness, a sin, it creates a bitter, vengeful spirit that does not allow God's forgiveness to bless you. So here's how this works. Remember last week we talked about the Lord's Prayer. It begins with God. We honor his name. We honor his kingdom. We honor his will. Here's what happens when we go to prayer in the right context. We start praying. And maybe down through the lines, we start praying about someone who wounded us. And we pray like they do in Psalms. They call them imprecatory Psalms. And it goes something like this. God, kill them all. (laughs) David prayed that a lot. Come to my rescue. Now, at some point, when we stop talking and we listen, here's what God says. Okay, let's talk about you. But I want to talk about them. No, he says, let's talk about you. And here's the crazy thing about forgiveness. I'm going to have a quote from Louis Schmieds. But here, just let me read it. Forgiveness is to set a prisoner free. And you discover that the prisoner set free is yourself. That's the crazy aspect about forgiveness. While we think it's towards the other person, it's really engaging our own heart and our own mind. Now, we can go through many different scenarios this morning. You might be sitting there and saying, but what if the person does not recognize they wounded me? Or what if they never ask for forgiveness? You know, one of the tragic things, and we don't know how this happened, but in Zimbabwe, my previous denomination, we went over there, and there's literally more churches in Zimbabwe than there are American in the Brethren of Christ Church. It's flourishing, it's alive and well. But somewhere along the line, one of the messages we gave them was this, that they didn't have to forgive anybody until the person came and asked for forgiveness. And so there's kind of a recorrection of theology there. You might say, but what if they intentionally wounded me and they plan on doing it more over and over again? Then some people ask, is there any person, any time, anywhere who can commit something against me that I do not have to forgive? I mean, all those kind of questions might be going through your mind. But again, our example is who? It's Christ. And the example of Christ always humbles us. Because we say this all the time, there is no sin that Christ cannot forgive. We are called to be salt and light, which means there is no circumstance and situation that we are not called to forgive. 
So how do we forgive? I want to take a passage out of Colossians. You can turn there, Colossians chapter 3. We'll look at verses 12 through 15. Here's how Paul starts. He goes, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Here's the first principle. How do we forgive? You start with yourself. What I've learned through the years that so often it's something inside of me that causes me to be offended. It wasn't really what the other person did or said. It's what goes on in my mind. It's my experiences. It's, it's catch words that just kind of send me over the rail. And I've seen this over and over again. So where we have to start with is ourselves. I remember when I was younger, actually much younger. And if you didn't know this about me, but I'm a very driven and focused person. I've learned to temper that sometimes. But being focused and driven, when I was younger, I used to get out of my office and I used to kind of just go through the crowd and get ready up front because I was ready to preach and I was thinking about what I was going to preach about. And I found out some weeks later that somebody was offended because Sunday mornings I'd walk past them and didn't stop and ask how their day was. And they were very hurt and wounded. And they carried this wound for weeks until I heard about it by someone that was in their prayer group. And it was a continual prayer regress that they need to forgive the pastor because he's being so insensitive to them. Now, we call that triangulation, by the way. You know, you kind of send an end around. It's what we used to do in junior high when you talk to your girlfriends and boyfriends to ask if somebody else might like them. Now, it's a silly example, right? But when I say that, I look at my own life and how many times have I been wounded because of something similar? I made an assumption. I looked at how I look at life. I asked questions from my perspective. And then I go to a prayer group and start praying for somebody because they need to know that they wounded me. It's so easy in this category to play the self-righteous role. I've been in some prayer groups where they tell people how they've been wounded that week and they always end with the long litany of, well, this person really wounded me. Oh, but I forgave them. Why do we say that? The first part and the second. Listen to this quote of John Piper. Kind of challenged me this week. The main obstacle to forgiving is that very few people, if anyone, will know we've ever been hurt. And then in that setting, can we remain joyful? Can we remain joyful? Now, we're talking about forgiveness. And again, I look at the context. And the context is make sure you do not do your righteousness to be seen by others. Rather, you do it by an audience of one. And let me give you two pieces of advice. Now, whenever I say two pieces of advice, you know what that means? It means you can disagree with me. It's not God's word. It's not thus saith the Lord. It's thus saith Pastor Greg at this point that this might be something you consider. So here's my two pieces of advice. One is if you're constantly offended, check your own heart and ask why. The sin of offense in scripture is one that takes you down a path that you do not want to go. So if you're constantly offended, you find yourself being offended every week, every day, ask why. 
Number two, if you feel the need to tell others how hurt you've been by so-and-so and how you've forgiven, ask why. Now, there's appropriate times to share with others how God's forgiven you to forgive others. But just ask, is this the right context? So, back to God's word. Here's the second thing. Start with yourself. Number two, learn to get along with people. Verse 13, Colossians, bearing with one another. Interesting word. The word literally means to put up with. Now, I know in your minds you're starting to think of people already. It means to suffer with. That probably brings a whole new list of names. In our culture, we do everything and anything to avoid pain. In fact, pain and conflict are viewed as, we view them with contempt. And we shouldn't. But this is why we don't dialogue. See, it's easier to accuse, to label, to judge motives. And we refuse to sit down and hear each other. Why? Because we have our own little world and it makes sense to us. Therefore, it should make sense to everyone else. Amen? (laughs) That's how we think. You know, verse 13 continued, says this. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Here's the third point. Learn to forgive. Be intentional. What are you putting in your mind and your heart? Start with yourself. Learn to get along or learn to bear with people and learn to forgive. Now, verse 12, I already read. Remember what it said? Put on then as God's chosen ones. If you're a believer, you're God's chosen ones. You're holy and you're loved. You put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. In verse 14, he says this, and above all else, put on, this is what we put on, love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let peace, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, there's the diverse unity, and be thankful. Now here's what this means. You treat the other person better than they deserve to be treated. You treat them as if they have been forgiven. You choose not to be the punisher. And you do this in spite of what you feel. But you ask the question, how many times do I have to do it? Well, if you have to do it a thousand times before your emotions catch up with your choices, then you do it a thousand times. But that's often what happens. Our emotions are often far behind the choices we make. Now here's the fourth principle. Realize that forgiveness is a work of God. Remember the verse 15? It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's his peace. It's his power. It's his spirit. And what this means is you need his help. Now in working with Adults who survive child sexual abuse, rape, and other kinds of evils. I will admit on a purely purely human level, I cannot grasp how they could ever forgive those who committed such horrors on them. In fact, when you sit in secular seminars, secular instructors will tell you that these people will never get over this. You just teach them how to cope. But see, as a church, we know better that in Christ, they can find true healing. 
But here's what I see time and time again. At some point, God breaks in and does what only God can do. And sometimes, and many times, their emotions catch up with their choices. But let me tell you what breaks my heart. Because I walk with people with these dark secrets, and they refuse to talk about them just because, well, there's a lot of reasons why. One of the main reasons is that when you study the whole nature of abuse and little children's getting abused, the adults teach them that it's their fault. And so they grow up thinking that it's their fault. So they live in shame and guilt that they don't have to. So they don't want to talk about it. But what breaks my heart is that people in the church who have no clue what these people have gone through often judge them, often accuse them, often are offended at them. And I see no bearing with. And I sit here and say this. Actually, I stand here and say this. If you only knew, if you only knew, and it's not my job, it's not my task to tell their story. That's their privilege and it's their right to privacy. If you only knew, there'd be compassion and understanding. Now, many of you know, it's been on our news almost every night. We live in a world overtaken by addictions. One of the reasons is because they're avoiding and running from pain of the past. And they need to learn how to forgive. Forgive other people. And more importantly, forgive themselves. Let me read this quote. It's from Philip Yancey. He says, I was then, I was then, it was then that I began to see what Dostoevsky had learned in prison. The gospel of grace infiltrates this world, not primarily through words and rational arguments, but through deeds and through love. The people I was learning to admire most, such as Paul Brand and Robert Coles, were, were expressing their faith, thought in action, incarnationally. As I traveled other countries, Brazil, Nepal, Philippines, Kenya, I found humble people who each day faced human problems more extreme than I could imagine, and yet who responded not with paralysis or resentment, but with compassion and love. It's very easy for us to sit back and make our opinionated observations, and we can have opinions and advice for everyone, but when it comes to us, we often violate the very rules we have in place for other people. Here's the fifth principle, and this is actually critical. We must first learn to forgive ourselves. There's this mirroring principle in psychology, and it says this, that we often see in other people what we are guilty ourselves in ourselves and refuse to see in ourselves. And I've seen this in forgiveness. The reason many people refuse to forgive is because they have not forgiven themselves. And that's a big ticket item with child sexual abuse. What do we do? Well, it's where confession comes into play. Call sin what it is, and we allow God's forgiveness to reign. And as a consequence, and hopefully things I've said this morning make sense, but as a consequence, we as a church become a people of forgiveness. 
And if we do this the way we should, we will be a people of hope. We will capture the world's attention. And yes, some will mock and say, they can't do that. That's impossible. But the world will sit back and say, you know, I've been looking for the genuine thing all my life. Maybe this is it. And so they come in, they sit down, and they have the conversation. This is grace stuff. This is Jesus dying in our place. And that gives us the power to forgive. Amen? I'm going to call the worship team up. They're going to sing a song. As they're getting ready, I just really want to have two things for you to consider. There are those that are here this morning that need to understand the power of God's forgiveness. They've never accepted Christ as their Savior. And I'm going to ask you at the end of the song to respond to that. So I'm going to give you some time as we sing to think about that. The other is, there are people here this morning that have struggled with forgiveness. And forgiving themselves, forgiving someone. And I'm just going to ask you to identify yourself later. And we're going to pray for you. Because this is something absolutely critical in nature as we move forward as Christians. Let's stand right now as we worship. Say, my lips shall still repeat. 
two excellent questions. First is this, should forgiveness be individual or corporate, such as a country's leader offering reparations for past sins and offenses towards a group of people in the past, or could it be both? Uh, My quick answer is it's both. When you study the Old Testament, what fascinates me about Moses is Moses many times would fall down before God and say, we have sinned. Not those people of sin, and it was their sin, but it was always we. It was a corporate confession. And there's other times, like David says, I have sinned against God and God alone. And we knew that he sinned against more than that, but what what he was saying was, listen, you know, first and foremost, if we get this right, we realize our sin offends and needs to be confessed to God. So the answer is both, but let me say this. We should never allow our individual confession to negate the need for corporate confession if that's called for. And we should never allow corporate confession to negate the need for individual confession and asking or forgiving if that's what's called for. It's kind of am both, not either or. But so often we push it aside and we excuse it and we ignore it. So hopefully that answers your question. Here's the second How do you forgive someone that you're close to who has hurt other people you love by his or her actions? How do you still love the offender and have compassion for those who have been unjustly hurt? It's a great question. Um, I think one of the things that we don't do well, because we do it in the name of love, is that we have somebody close to us and we have a good relationship and we love them. There are times and places that we need to sit down and have a fierce conversation with them saying, listen, do you understand that your behavior is hurting people? I guess we love them enough to confront them. We love them enough not to ignore their sin. We understand and we do that with people with addictions. Um, We should do that on all levels with all people. And then loving those who have been hurt. You know, we pray for them. We walk with them. We don't go in and try to excuse our friend's behavior or the person we love. Um, but you pray together in, in honest confession. And um, I think sometimes it's where the corporate confession comes in and says, you know what, we haven't done too well in this. Because we've allowed other people to hurt other people and we've not said anything. And so that's the sin of silence. Back to my two other propositions. If you're here this morning and you need a saving relationship with Christ, how we do it here is I just simply ask you to stand up and then we, we, we pair you up with someone in a room so they can go through and be clear about what it is you're asking. 
So if there's someone here this morning that needs the forgiveness of God to be saved from this world and saved from this sin, I'm going to ask you to stand and we'll kind of pair you up. So if you're here this morning, just stand right now. And if I don't see you, forgive me. There's one. Okay. Any else? I'm looking for Tim. Do you want to take gentlemen out? Is there anyone else? Second observation. If you're here this morning and you're willing to admit that, man, there is somebody in your life you have to forgive, and that might be you, and that might be somebody else. And you just want prayer this morning, and you want to identify that I'm struggling with this, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you're at, and we're going to pray for you. So if you're here this morning and you fit that category, go ahead and just stand. Okay, thank you. We got some down here. Any others? Let's pray. Father, we first want to thank you that we are forgiven and can be forgiven. And I think of this this gentleman that is making that decision this morning. May he understand that it's by grace. And for these people that were brave enough to stand saying, you know what, there's there's a a person, a situation, even with myself that I struggle with. Um, We ask that your spirit just allow Christ's peace to rule in their hearts to do what they can't do on their own we thank you for their courage and for the rest of us Lord may we have the courage to be a people of hope may we have the courage to be a people of forgiveness and realize at times your message is going to seem nonsensical and often insensitive and it will offend some people maybe not pull back from that but just calmly and quietly and lovingly stand to an honest of one. And no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in and situation, teach us what it means to forgive. Teach us to live by your spirit. And we pray these things in your name. And everybody said, Amen. You're dismissed.